The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche. Running on the Rocks, Part 1. Written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis K. Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jaguer. Uh-oh. Ramona whipped her head around to see what Merck was looking at. Uh-oh was not the sort of thing you wanted to hear over your radio in the middle of a pitched battle. She shifted the rocket launcher on her shoulder and eyed the burning remnants of the Thulian forest. Something smaller than a Krieger tore through the smoldering underbrush, making a beeline for the line of metas and soldiers holding the line on the platforms. Whatever it was, it had no intention of slowing down. I don't have a visual, so more words would be great. Placing the last two. I'm going to share my visual. Might be faster. The azure-white blur of her speedster zipped down from the ridge and back behind the railguns, then streaked back along the perimeter of the fire. With most of the jungle reduced to cinders, the Echo Snipers could provide better support from strategic positions leading up to the facility. Eight had mapped out the best locations, and Merck had set up the remaining soldiers in the appropriate places. The edges of her HUD became fuzzy, then partitioned her view into her own and Mercury's. He focused on the basin beneath the ridge while he ran, the image blurring at regular intervals as he checked his own path to the last location. Ramona scowled and tried to make out the shapes beneath the burning trees. Something dark moved through the fires toward the ridge, then stopped and surged forward. Tree limbs and broken Thulian armor spewed from the edge of the forest, revealing a battered feminine figure in a tattered leather uniform. The woman snarled and screamed, and Ramona had a moment of indescribable panic. She lay still as the metahuman woman stood over her to gloat. America has grown fat and complacent, Valkyria said. You should have chosen your allies more carefully, darling. Years of civilian training and a new life as a metahuman operative did little to erase the memory of being shot by the Nazi super-soldier who had aided in the search for Eisenfaust in the days after the invasion began. Ramona ground her teeth and tightened her grip on the rocket launcher, waiting for Merck's visual to align with hers. Calloway's in position. Coming back to... Uh-oh. The feeds showed opposite perspectives of the same woman, surrounded by dying Thulians. In an instant, the view from Mercury blurred and disappeared, and the speedster raced back down to stand at the edge of the forest. He skidded to a stop as some of the fallen Kriegers struggled to their hands and knees in defense of their commanding officer. Valkyria continued to shriek and howl, her unintelligible words seeming to call the last bits of strength and loyalty from the nearly dead Thulians. They clawed at the ground, reaching for broken weapons and burning chunks of debris to hurl at those on the front lines. Ramona felt her skin harden in response, but she had nothing left to counter the attack. With all of the snipers placed, the plan was for Merck to bring another case of shells to continue their assault. Check the other platforms. I need those shells two minutes ago, please. Ramona steeled herself and held her ground as Valkyria directed those around her to move forward. She could trust Merck to get the case to her in time, even to load the first shell in seconds to fire. Without armor to protect her, the Nazi soldier wouldn't last a minute coated in thermite. One shot, and she would be able to move forward and continue the offensive outside the city. 
but Merck didn't respond. Rick, you've got to find a different path and get over here. I'm completely out. It took tremendous effort to keep her tone to an authoritative bark rather than a panicked wail. Move your ass, soldier! Move. Understood. Mercury answered her with an ice-cold tone, the words clipped and efficient. Before she could question his reply, he shot toward her at top speed, his teeth bared in a very un like smile. At that exact moment, Valkyria let loose a blood-curdling scream and thrust a hand forward. Her growing army followed her command, driven by some base desire to serve until their dying breaths, and began to progress toward the platforms. Those who fell and did not rise were crushed under the boots of those who gained strength and followed the command of their mistress. She stepped clear of the fire, eyes wild with bloodlust, her gaze coming to rest on Ramona. Steel Maiden, pivot forty-five degrees left and kneel on my count. Eight chirped quietly in her ear. The words provided a sense of grounding and she obeyed, trusting that Vicky's designee wouldn't let them down. Three, two, brace, mark. At the last word, she felt her carapace thicken and harden along her exposed side, Something collided with her metal-sheathed shoulder and upper arm, but Ramona maintained her balance as it fell to the side. It coughed and wheezed, but didn't get back up. She stood and glanced down at the platform. Mercury curled into a ball, struggling to catch his breath. Blood streamed from his lip and one shoulder hung at a strange angle. He tilted his head back and groaned. She's mad, crazy and mad. She'll make you that way, too, if you're not careful. He spat a bit of blood and curled tighter. That's at least three broken ribs. Oh, freaking hurts, but better than a bullet. Ramona nodded, not liking what she would have to do next. Yes, and so is this. Preemptive apology, handsome. With one metal-clad fist, she socked him hard enough in the jaw to knock him unconscious. He sagged to the metal grate, now unable to fall prey to any more Nazi mind tricks. Of course, this meant having to get the thermite grenades herself. Eight locations of the remaining grenades? We do have some left, right? Affirmative. Two cases will be delivered to your position. Eight showed the projected delivery route, an aerial path that originated from a cache behind the railguns. Nearly half had gone silent, casualties of the assault. Just behind the original shield boundary, Valkyria had started to gather some of the echo forces unlucky enough to be within her telepathic proximity. They all took occasional shots at the platforms, but Valkyria's bloodlust kept them from being too accurate. A familiar silhouette cast a shadow on the platform. Special delivery, love. Little Bird said you could do some damage with a few of these. Corby set the first case down and did a double take at the sight of the unconscious speedster. On the ads with your bloke, eh? I suppose good looks only get a man so far with a career woman. Ramona laughed in spite of herself. <laughs> it's for his own good. Take him back. He's got a few broken ribs, dislocated shoulder, and a concussion. Tell the rest of them to give that Nazi bitch a wide berth if they don't want to be turned against their own. She made a face at an oozing patch of wing with singed feathers. <laughs> you be careful, too. As much as I can be. Corby hefted Mercury into his arms and took off, straining to clear the platform. He lurched to the side to avoid a smoking turret on his way to one of the frigates in the support fleet. 
With a fresh supply of thermite grenades, Ramona loaded the rocket launcher and took aim at the woman standing at the rear of her newfound army. Valkyria scowled and pointed a leather-clad arm in her direction. The corner of her mouth quirked up in deadly amusement. As one, the desperate legion turned to obey their mistress. Does she remember? She can't remember, Ramona thought. Besides, Ramona Ferrari is dead. Again, she realized with an inappropriate giggle. Was it okay to laugh at death if it didn't know you were really alive? Ramona shrugged, drew a long breath, and took aim. She wasn't one to wax philosophic anyway. She braced herself, exhaled slowly, and pulled the trigger. Black leather became liquid silver for an exquisite second before Valkyria burst into flames. Those surrounding her fell to the ground, dead or dazed. The metahuman tried to leap into the air, but the motion sent her forward, burning flesh curling off of her body in waves of liquid fire. Ramona felt her throat tighten and her gorge rise, but she reloaded with a new grenade and focused her attention on the few Kriegers that continued to emerge from the trees. This battle was far from over, and worse things could come from within the secret world of the Thulians. Red Savior, behind a rank of Kirill copies in their armor, watched Boreat's advance in the front rank of his repainted supernaut minions. They were all, including Boreat's, decked out in new colors, a red camouflage scheme to match the now wilting jungle. It looked like blood splatters. Old, black, dried blood, brownish, aging blood, and bright red, fresh blood overlaying each other. Fitting colors for murderers, Natalia thought. Commissar, Unter began as she pushed past a couple of proletariat supernaut suits, properly clad in Soviet scarlet with a gold star on their chests. You should. I have a plan, she said shortly over the radio, so he and everyone else could hear it, and emerged from the group of giant robotic suits to stand, fists on her hips, in full view of the traitor. So, murderer, you actually dare to show your cowardly face? I am surprised. The CCCP channel erupted with curses, and the Allied Forces channel with objections to her action. Comrade 8, she ordered. Filter channels for what I can actually use. Absolutely, Commissar, 8 replied obediently. She smiled, a very little. It was good to have at least one person. Was that even the right word for the entity? On her side, who obeyed direct orders. The noise immediately died down, with only relevant messages coming through. You should not have come here, girl. Boryetz's face was stone. His eyes, fixed on Natalia, didn't seem to acknowledge any of the other soldiers arrayed against him. You will die here for nothing. Men, prepare to... Fire! Natalia dropped down into a crouch, her hands out in front of her. Twin blasts of energy rent through the air at Boreats. The rest of her troops opened fire as one, with rockets, bullets, plasma blasts, and jets of napalm cutting into the supernaut ranks. Troopers fell in the initial volley, with several of the suits detonating when their napalm tanks were breached. Boreats took the entire barrage, unmoving, still watching Natalia. There was a hint of sadness there for the barest moment, and then it was gone. The supernaut troopers quickly broke formation, spreading out to the side streets. 
All units, pursue and engage. Do not let them flank around. I will be handling Boryats. Everyone snapped too, running to fight the traitor supernauts and Thulians. She watched all of the dots on her HUD as they flooded the nearby streets, stopping when they encountered an enemy. They had the momentum and better coordination via Overwatch. The Supernaut soldiers did not fare well. She couldn't focus on those fights. She had a more urgent matter to attend to. The rest of the battle was advancing as expected, completely chaotic. Most of the unit commanders were on top of their situations, however, and with Eight acting as a switchboard and quasi-commander, only the most pressing tactical decisions needed to be made by her. Whatever happened, she needed to end things with Boryats quickly, so she could get back to her real task. So, this is how you wish for it to end? So be it. Boryats took a step towards her. She barked out a laugh, causing Boryats to pause for a moment. How long have you been the Thulian's pet whore, old man? She had switched to Russian, pouring extra venom into her words. Cursing in English didn't have the same oomph to it, as the Americans said. A flicker of anger crossed Boryats's face. Good. I have been working with them since just before the war ended. They... Speak Russian, you pathetic bastard. Or have you grown so senile you've forgotten your mother tongue? He started walking towards her again, his hands balling into fists. I will not tolerate your insults further, girl, he replied in Russian. This showed me what would happen to the world if we did not steer it together. Hitler would have ended everything in a nuclear fire, near the end. We stopped that. Natalia sniffed, sneering at him. You weakling, licking the palms of the greatest enemy of mankind, and that is all of your justification? He was closer now, still coming towards her unhurriedly. You are blinded by ideology, child. Your idiot father's fault. He didn't have the stomach to face the reality we were presented either. That shook Natalia, though she didn't give Boryats the satisfaction of showing it. He knew? For all of those years? And he did nothing? Like you, he lost himself in this stupid dream of a socialist future, of Russian supremacy against America. With open eyes, any fool could see that you don't put a starving dog against a pack of wolves. It was us against America, and capitalism... That is the world against the masters, he continued, shaking his head. You will think that this attack is anything but annoyance to them? With their technology, they can reduce the entire earth to a cinder. Standing against that is suicide. The only choice, Natalia, is to work towards something where humanity survives. Boryats was almost to her. Just a few seconds longer. Survive as slaves, maybe, and certainly not all of us. Your betrayals have seen to that, coward. But so long as you live to save the world, it doesn't matter, no? Your reason fled you long before your powers began to. That is enough, he roared at her. If I do not stop you here, if we do not drive you back, everything is over. They will destroy everything, rather than let you even begin to threaten them. You could have helped us, traitor. 
That is, if you had anything resembling a spine, or manhood, or your mind. As senile as you are, it must be child's play to manipulate you. Boreas was almost close enough that she could reach out and touch him if she took a step. He raised an arm. He was going to kill her with a punch, as he had with Molotok. His gaze dripped murder, and then he stopped. Immediately, the rage was replaced with confusion. He swayed on his feet for a moment, then collapsed to a knee, dropping his arm to catch himself. Mamona emerged from an alleyway behind Natalia, focusing intently on Boreas. He tried to rise, his eyes going from Natalia to Mamona. The anger had returned. Just as it looked as if he'd get to his feet, he collapsed to the ground again, vomiting. Retching, he crawled forward on his hands and knees through his own sick. Agonizingly slow, he managed to get back to his feet. Tricks won't save you, he growled through gritted teeth. Again, his arm rose back, the massive bare fist clenched and huge like a wrecking ball. A thin, pale, bare hand snaked up behind Boreas's shoulder, caressing the fist. Natalia watched as the light around Boreas dimmed slightly. The hand traced Boreas's arm down to the shoulder, where the hand gripped the bare flesh through his torn uniform. His arm fell, and he was firmly pushed to his knees by the hand. Thea. Her normally milky white skin flushed pink and red, her eyes blazing with an inner fire and energy, rested her other bare hand on Boreas's other shoulder, holding him down. He tried to grab at her, but his hands trembled and fell uselessly back to his sides. You see, uncle, this is true strength. You thought that since you alone weren't strong enough to fight the Thulians, that no one was, no one could be. I learned much from you. I am glad that I learned that you could be wrong, in that comrades, true comrades, are stronger together than anyone alone could ever be, in that when we stand together, the weakest of us has the strength of an army. Soviet appeared from the same alleyway that Mamona had stepped out of. She walked up to Boreas and placed her hand on his forehead. And I have learned much, so much from Amerikansky healer Belladonna old men, the Russian woman said dispassionately. Enough to remove the only thing that made you great. He shuddered and seemed to shrink. He didn't move away from her touch, however. Soviet removed her hand, her brow sweating. Her powers were usually used to heal and help a body's systems recover. Doing the opposite took quite a lot out of her. She retrieved a scalpel from a belt pouch, using it to cut Boreas's cheek under his left eye. A thin rivulet of blood spread from the cut, following the wrinkles of the old man's face. It was the first time Natalia had ever seen Boreas bleed. His invulnerability was gone, at least for a time. Soviet turned to Natalia. It's done. She stepped back out of the way, replacing the scalpel and unholstering a pistol. Natalia brushed the front of her uniform off, her eyes meeting Boreas. No big battle. No great speeches. You don't get to save the world, uncle. You abandoned it long ago, after all. Now it will abandon you. Dead on an alien street from a cheap bullet. 
I only hope that memory of you and your betrayal fades until no one even remembers who you were. Soviet again stepped forward, leveling the pistol at Boryat's head. He ignored her, his eyes boring into the commissar. Natalia. The rage was completely absent. The only thing she saw in his eyes now was sadness, maybe a little bit of gratitude. She felt her throat close, choked with emotion. He was a bastard, a cowardly traitor who had turned on everything he believed in before she was even born, and who had killed her best friend. But still, no, she told herself, clamping down on her doubts. No forgiveness for this one. She promptly spun on her heel, her back to Boryat's as she walked away. She heard the hammer of Yadviga's Makarov cock and waited for the gunshot, but it never came. Natalia spun around to witness the scene. Despite everything that awful traitorous bastard has done, I didn't want to watch him die. What the hell is going on? I can't. I, I can't kill him. Sovi was trembling, and not just from exhaustion. A flood of emotions crossed her face, and acute distress shone from her eyes. I know I told you how much I wanted to, Natalia, but now that the moment comes, I cannot. Fia stepped away from Boryets and took the gun from Soviet's unresisting hand. Of course not, my sister. You are a healer. She pressed the barrel against Boryat's forehead. I, however, am not. Fia pulled the trigger. The light fled Boryat's eyes as he crumpled to the ground. Natalia flinched at the sound of his dead weight hitting the street more than she did from the gunshot. He didn't look like the giant from her childhood, the hero from the old propaganda reels, or even the traitor that had murdered her best friend. He just looked like an old man, finally resting. Fia handed the gun back to Soviet. Yadviga looked at the gun in her hands as if it was made of plutonium. She couldn't look away from it either. Comrade Doctor, you and I should go help those who deserve your care. I cannot hold on to his life force, his vitality, for very long. There was quite a lot of it. Natalia noticed that Thea was shivering where she stood with barely contained energy. There is no redemption for him, but using his life to save our true comrades is some reparation. That seemed to snap Yadviga out of her trance. Gingerly, she holstered the gun, nodding to Thea absently. Da, da, there is work to do still. I'll come with y'all, Mamona piped up. Natalia had initially harbored misgivings about the American metahuman, but in the end she had turned out to be a sturdy comrade, and it was never more evident. She's truly one of us. A moment later, all three were gone, running to find people to help. Natalia lingered for a few moments longer, looking at the body of the man that used to be workers' champion, the pride of the Soviet Union. Like that grand experiment... Worker's champion was dead. Natalia left him there in the street, just another body amongst the others. With a grunt, 
Red picked himself up off the ground, his mind growing clearer as his burnt flesh sloughed off and was replenished by growing ropes of muscle and connective tissue. He came to his feet, in time to see Vicky dodging Baron's increasingly frustrated attacks. He knew Vicky had faced large opponents before. Given her diminutive stature, it was safe to say most of her opponents had towered over her, and she obviously knew how to take advantage of that disparity in size. But the larger opponents were usually brutes, ones laden down with bulky muscles that delivered slow and clumsy blows. Baron was different. She was fast, her strikes precise and deadly, and it was all Vicky could do to keep moving, to keep dodging out of the way. Red wondered why Baron wasn't striking with her lancing heat attacks, but a few wisps of smoke trailing off Vicky's singed hair revealed she had. If Red had to guess, Vicky's armor was fireproof. Or maybe she'd even woven magic fire resistance into her own skin. It made sense. The last thing Victoria Victrix would ever allow herself to suffer again was fire. Red glanced to his right down a corridor that seemed to stretch on forever. The chamber with the doomsday missile lay beyond the next portal. It was part of the unspoken plan that one of them had to get to it to stop it from launching. He knew what was at stake here. Whether or not their forces outside were able to overcome the ship's defenses, it wouldn't matter much if there wasn't still a planet left to stand on. But this was Vicky. Everything that they had endured, everything that had brought them to this point, she was the one who had kept them going. They couldn't lose her. Not now. He couldn't lose her. As far as he was concerned, there wasn't any choice in the matter. He willed the mass to come, to expand until he was almost as large as Baron was, as surprised as the first time how easily he could control his new body. He supposed he knew that it was remnants of Carolina that allowed him to do so. Something deep, muscle memory perhaps, as he drew from her history of sampling meta-abilities to instinctively grasp the fundamentals of his new talents. When he needed to be bigger, he was. When he needed extra layers of protection— be they fire-resistant or dense enough to absorb impact, he simply willed them to spring up around himself. He was still learning what he was now capable of and what little he knew he called forth. He charged, and by the time he was barreling into Baron's flank, he was a twelve-foot-tall behemoth clad in a black, rubbery coating. Again, her speed surprised him. With a quick feint towards Vicky, Baron ducked out of Red's charge and spun away, but not before leveling a massive blow to his knee. Red felt his leg crack from under him, and he wobbled down to one knee in front of Vicky. Red! Vicky screamed. But Red was already rising, wincing from the pain as his leg reset itself. He risked a glance down and saw extra padding forming around his vulnerable joints. He couldn't say if it was a conscious effort or something deeper, instinctive, but he seemed to possess some rather handy and adaptive capabilities now. With a mere thought, he willed the same protection around his shoulders, his elbows, wrists, hips, and ankles. With an afterthought, he thickened his skull for good measure, interlacing an ultra-resilient bone with shock-absorbing membranes. Go for her throat, her eyes, her heart if you can manage it, Red whispered. I'll do what I can to keep her attention. Vicky nodded and together they turned to face their adversary. Baron stood before them, waiting, patiently flexing and stretching in place. She cocked her head to one side and sized them up, 
You may prove amusing after all. A morsel before the feast. Vicky rolled her eyes. You are such an asshole, she said, and brought her blades to the ready. Red could feel her anticipation, her relaxed stance a mere facade. He felt it coming off her in waves. Despite it all, despite what was on the line here, she was enjoying herself. It sounded crazy, but he supposed he understood it. Victoria Victrix had been a prisoner in her own body for years now. There had been pain with every step, with every breath, with every thought. Once upon a time, she had been the warrior. When someone needed saving, she had leapt to the call. Ever since she had been scarred, she had retreated into a shell of herself. It wasn't her on the front lines anymore. She was the one who needed saving. Oh, how she must have loathed that. But now, here she was, in the heart of the dungeon, clad in her armor once again, nimbly dancing around her giant opponent, her weapons in hand. Whatever she had done to get here, to this place, she had once again earned the name of warrior. Time to kill us a dragon, Red murmured. Damn right, Vicky snarled. I've got point. Like hell you do. Together they leapt into the fray. Baron watched them, bemused, as they flanked her. Red grunted as Baron jabbed at him, catching him with a deft blow to his midsection. He staggered back and Vicky darted away, Baron's swift and deadly fists forcing her to keep her distance. The jab had been nothing, a fraction of Baron's enormous strength, but he felt a part of him screaming. He took a breath as he felt the bulk of his guts liquefy, then shudder, then regenerate. It occurred to him that it wasn't the trauma that might do him in. If he had to guess, he could continue to take blows like that for hours. But her strength? What could she do to him if she managed to get a grip? He imagined being ripped to shreds, his parts hurled to the far reaches of the room. He watched in horror as Vicky executed the same parkour stunt she had against Doppelganger, flipping over the head of the monster and lashing out with her sword, neatly slicing the tip off one of Baron's upraised claws before she landed and scuttled out of the way of retaliation. But there was no retaliation. Baron was momentarily in shock, staring at the black, viscous blood that flowed freely from a newly exposed appendage. Impossible, Baron gasped. You cut through my armor. Nothing of this world could possibly... Like I said, Vicky panted to Red. Still sharp, just not nanoblade sharp. All right, all right, Red muttered. You've got point. Baron stared at him, snarled, and turned away from him completely. He wasn't the threat after all. The small woman with the really, really sharp blades was, and Baron clearly was not used to anything being a threat. She watched Vicky intently, her stance dropping to a cautious prowl as she slowly began to close the distance with the defiant mage. Really? Red called after her. You don't want to play anymore? Just with her? This a girl power thing? You are of no moment, Baron hissed back, her eyes fixed on Vicky's blades. Your inexperience with your new body betrays you. You have not even touched your potential. 
You cannot possibly hurt me. You are... Baron hissed as Red Janie rushed her from behind, locking her two fighting arms behind her in a sudden hold, her remaining arms flailing about in protest. He struggled with her, almost losing his grip as she thrashed against his weight, until he brought his arms together and willed them to fuse, and to expand. This time it wasn't flesh or reinforced bone. He almost stopped, amazed at himself, as he watched strands of webbing erupt from the pores of his skin, flying into place until he was bound to her, her huge arms caught in a reinforced cocoon of silk. I am, it turns out, adaptable, Red grunted. Vicky, would you be a dear and decapitate this thing for me? With pleasure, Vicky snarled, and backed up as far as the wall to give herself more room for a rush. As small and light as she was, she would need momentum to make up for a lack of mass behind her blow. Red felt Baron go still, and then her remaining arms began to lash out at him. While they were smaller, this was still Baron, and Red grit his teeth as each delivered a series of rabbit punches to his chest that might have caved in a steel door. No hurry, Red wheezed. I think my spleen's still intact. What about your brain? Vicky asked, braced against the wall, planning her move. Never mind, that's not the important part of you. And she launched. It was a launch. She moved faster than Red had ever seen her run before. And from Baron, he felt... tension. There was something about the way she was holding herself, bracing against an attack that she knew might cut deep, and perhaps even kill her. Red felt the alien giant twitch in place. No, it was more than that. It was a shiver. Baron was trembling. Baron was afraid. I don't think she's faced a real threat in a long, long time. She's had things her way for so long she's forgotten she's mortal. As Vicky closed in, Red felt Baron sag in place, and he fought down an urge to crow in triumph. Instead, he dug in, bracing for impact, when he felt a building pressure in his arms. Elation turned into a growing sense of alarm as he realized Baron was not giving up after all. She was bracing herself too, but not against Vicky's strike. Red watched as the muscles in Baron's shoulders bulged. She was straining against the confines of Red's reinforced hold. She was strong, but was she strong enough to... It was an awful sound, like a guttural snarl, only louder, amplified, as Baron pulled her left arm free, tearing Red's makeshift arm shackles apart, the silk strands snapping and cracking apart in bunches. With a final push, Baron screamed, pulling her arm away, and Red's arm along with it, tearing it away from its moorings, leaving only a bloody socket at his shoulder. She screamed her fury, swung her right arm forward, and Red yelped as he found himself dragged along and suspended upside down in front of her, a human shield to Vicky's charge. He watched as Vicky tried to slam on the brakes, her look of fierce determination replaced by one of horror and dismay, and felt her bounce back off his rubbery frame, rolling away to absorb the impact. From his perspective, it was almost funny. He nearly laughed until he felt himself smashed to the ground, a heavy boot plant on his stomach, and his other arm tearing away as Baron pulled herself free from him. Red closed his eyes and heard himself groan. 
the floor shook. It was barren, he supposed, her heavy steps thundering away into the distance. Red! Looking up, Red saw Vicky enter his field of view, peering down at him, her eyes wide and frightened. Jesus, frog on a pogo stick, she gasped. Enough of your spring-loaded messianic amphibians, woman, Red heard himself mumble. I'll bite her freaking kneecaps off. You have no arms. It's only a flesh wound. With a fierce frown, Vicky pointed to her left. Red glanced over and saw his detached arms lying in ruined strands of silk and growing pools of blood. Right, he sighed and came to his feet gingerly. He hobbled over to them and knelt down. Uh, help me out here? She obliged, heaving each arm up to his shoulders, grimacing as they made odd squelching noises as they reattached themselves. You're weirded out, he said, rising and testing his range of motion. I've seen weirder, she assured him. Trust me, this rates as a few ripples in the sanity pond. No irrevocable damage done, at least not yet. Just for future reference, what would rate as the irrevocable variety? You know, fight first, relationship talk second. She's heading for the missile room. Red spun around in time to see Baron disappear through a portal. He cursed and raced after her. Glancing around, he was surprised to see Vicky right beside him, matching his long strides with a face full of determination and a surprisingly fast sprint. Your swords are sharp, he said, turning back to the closing portal. But can you really get enough force to cut through her neck guards? Honestly, I'm not sure, Vicky replied grimly, and motioned for him to open his arms. But I'll have better luck there than driving them into her chest. She leapt for him. I might be able to, Red offered, catching her in a rough grapple. You ever use a sword? Vicky countered, balancing herself on one of his forearms. Throw! I can't say that I have, Red admitted, and hurled her forward with a smooth cast, as if they had been doing this together all their lives. She tucked her knees to her chest and landed in a nimble roll. She came to a precisely calculated stop, leapt up in a sudden lunge with her sword, and neatly thrust the point across the threshold, blocking the sliding door before it slotted into place. Red caught up to her, slid his fingers into the narrow groove between the door and the bulkhead, and with a bellowing howl, forced them apart. Vicky squeezed inside while he was still forcing the door open, leaving it for him to maneuver himself into the room like a limbo dancer. He let the door go, snapping his arms back as the door closed behind him with a weighty thud. Only then did he turn. The round room was bathed in that orange light the Thulians seemed to like so much. In the floor was... something... It looked like one of those irising portals he'd seen elsewhere, with a low balustrade around it. Above it, surrounded by a circular grated catwalk, the bomb hung like the evil fruit of the plant that was this ship. Not that it looked like a bomb. Its front end was all the machinery for digging its way through the Earth's mantle to get to the liquid core. The back end was smooth and mirror-finished. The whole thing gleamed with an oily sheen, as if even light was repelled from it. On the other side of the pit was the control station. Baron stood over it, her visor open, her main arms raised in victory as she pulled one of her lesser hands away from the interface. Black fluid continued to leak from her injured claw, but she ignored it. 
Red felt the floor beneath him start to hum, and with a steely rasp, the portal beneath the bomb slowly opened. Too late, Darren laughed. Your pitiful planet is doomed. Somewhere, a klaxon began to ring, and the room was plunged into momentary darkness, and then bathed in a pulsing blue light that seemed to come from everywhere. It flashed on and off, and Red cursed in dismay as the control panel sank into the floor, and a terrible rumbling sound ramped up above them. Baron had activated the burrower. How do we turn it off? Vicky screamed. We can't, Red yelled back. The controls are seconds away from eating themselves. That thing is their ultimate juggernaut. It won't stop until it reaches the core, then game over. We have to try. There must be something. Its hide is tougher than anything on this planet, Red screamed. It's completely self-contained, and it repels energy. Not helping, Vicky said, and screamed in frustration. Give me something to work with here. Like what? Red screamed. You want me to pull some miracle out of my ass? This can't be it, Vicky whispered, her face gone deathly white. This can't be how it ends, can it? After everything we've endured, to just be wiped out of existence? Red whirled around, his senses screaming at him in sudden danger. In the harsh, blinking light, he found himself face to face with Baron. Looks for me, Baron purred. She reared back and swung a heavy blow across his chest. Red flew up and ricocheted off the side of the burrower. He felt his neck snap, and he landed in a heap on the smooth balustrade. You'd better make this quick, Bull rumbled. Quick? Bella said incredulously. Are you insane? I knew you would say that, Bull said, shaking his head. I knew it and prompted you anyway. Bella put both hands on the top of the black cylinder that Eight had indicated and concentrated. She'd put in as much study of their Thulean captives as she could spare time for, and their brains were not all that dissimilar from humans in the way they worked, even though they varied from human in construction. But was that because they're essentially printouts? Never mind. Concentrate. With a pattern this simple, once you got past the autonomic functions and the programmed memories that made them fighting machines, you had to give them a very simple set of visual instructions. Who is your enemy? Who is your friend? What do they look like? She knew she had it when she touched a part of the mind that held pictures, pictures of simplified humans, of fellow Thulians, and creatures she now knew were the so-called masters. Gotcha, she muttered, and went to work. Bella, whatever you are doing, you'd better finish it fast. Bull's calm, steady voice filtered through her concentration. They're getting skin printed. I think they're about to be decanted. She doubled down on her concentration, putting so much effort into it that she began to sweat and pant with exertion. And to think... If it hadn't been for Mel, she would never have learned how to reprogram brains in the first place. She just hoped no one else ever did. This was changing memories, something brainwashers had been dying to achieve forever. She felt Bull's protective bubble spring up around them both and broke off what she was doing. 
She spun around, grabbing his substantial shoulder to keep her balance as she went lightheaded for a moment. All around them, the fluid had drained out of those cylinders, which were sliding up into the ceiling. A hundred or more pairs of eyes opened and regarded them dispassionately. A hundred or more pairs of feet stepped down off the pedestals as the new-born Thulian warriors turned to face them. Bull put himself between Bella and the mob. A hundred naked Thulian arms rose in the Nazi salute. I believe they are waiting for you to give them orders, Commander, H said brightly. What's Thulian for? We're under attack. Defend your masters, Bella asked breathlessly. It had worked. Use German, Bull muttered, before Eight could reply. Wir sind angegriffen. Wir teigen deine Masterin, she snapped. Over a hundred stark naked Thulians barked a single unintelligible syllable in reply, turned, and ran out of the room. Meanwhile, the cylinders had slid down from the ceiling again, filled with fluid, and the printing process resumed. Bella sagged against Bull. He held her to him, marveling at her. What did you do? he asked. I used the same neural net reprogramming I used on Mel, except I did it on the pattern brain. I figured the programming would be uploaded to the printouts at the last minute because they wouldn't want to bring the brains online until they were ready to decant, she said breathlessly. It was easier than with Mel because it was simple friend or foe bit switches. I flipped the switches. Now they'll all be like that, she laughed weakly. Now we don't have to shut this thing off. It's making us troops with every printing. Bull grinned at her. Nice going, lady. Good to see something going right for a change. The last word had just left his mouth when a harsh alarm sounded off, and blinking blue lights dropped down from the ceiling. Bloody hell, Bella said in dismay, punching Bulwark in the bicep. Why would you say... Are you insane? Ask me again, later, Bull sighed. One of these days I might have a good answer. Bella shook her head and took his hand in hers. Come on, let's get the hell out of here before anything else happens. Baron turned to Vicky, who didn't hesitate and leapt forward, swinging for Baron's throat. The giant gave her a pitying look and held up one arm to block the attack. Vicky's sword cut into the armored forearm with a horrible metallic squeal, and she hissed as it dug in. It was stuck. For one horrible moment, Vicky dangled helplessly from her sword, unable to dislodge it. She tried to rattle it loose and stifled a cry of alarm as Baron turned in place to hop up on the lip of the now-open portal. Baron held her arm out and suspended Vicky over a seemingly bottomless pit. After I drop you in and dismatch your paramour by ripping him to shreds, I will need to report back to my supreme commander, Baron said. She sounded bored. Perhaps I will even have time to see some true combat before we leave this forsaken excuse of a planet. Oh, the menial tasks we must perform in the name of duty. However, there will soon be time to engage in more frivolous pursuits, like examining this blade of yours. I find it most perplexing. 
How anything of your primitive technology is able to cut through one of our ultimate voskins is worthy of inspection. I don't suppose you would just tell me and save me the trouble of having it studied? Bite me, Vicky snarled. I thought as much, Baron said, and raised her free fighting arm to slap Vicky away as one might a pesky insect. Tell me your name, little one. Allow yourself the honor of being known to me before you perish. Vicky glared at Baron and stuck out her chin in defiance. The name's Victoria Victrix Naj, you asshat. Victrix, Baron said, and relaxed her stance. You are known to me. You are wanted by my master. How fortunate. They had thought you lost to us. Rejoice, for your life will not end this day. We have a grand fate in store for you. You will know great honor as you serve us until the end of days. You know, I don't see that happening, Vicky said. I'm not so good with the whole slavery thing. I'm funny that way. But then, so are most humans. No matter what you do to me or anyone else, you've lost. You lost the moment you activated your planet buster. Now go crawl away and find some other poor slobs to enslave and know you never broke us. Is that what you think? Baron said. This was never about enslaving you. Do you truly believe that we, with all our power, would find the least bit of entertainment in enslavement? You flatter yourself, human. You cannot be this simple. You are one of the few on this pathetic rock whose mind intrigues us, deemed worthy to be installed in the collective. Is it possible that we were mistaken? Maybe, Vicky said and shrugged, even though she was clinging with both hands to tire Iron's hilt. Or maybe I'm just stalling. Baron's eyes widened in sudden comprehension as Red came barreling out of the darkness and slammed into her back with his shoulder. She shot forward into the pit, flailing in an unsuccessful attempt to keep her balance, and Vicky grunted as she found herself falling with her. Vix! she heard Red shout as she fell. Let go! Go limp! Vicky released her grip on tire iron and watched Baron sail over her and plummet into the hole. She gasped as something caught her around her waist, snapping her back like a bungee cord. She looked down and found herself restrained in the grip of elongated fingers, attached to an elongated arm, attached to a breathless red genie who peered down at her from the edge of the pit. And then she found herself falling again. She squawked. Tethered by Red's long and stringy arm, she swung quickly down to collide with the wall of the pit. She heard something snap and felt a sharp stab in her midsection. Briefly stunned, she grimaced in pain as Red quickly reeled her in, his arm shrinking back to its original size. Gently, he cradled her as he bent down to place her beside him. Good catch. Was this Cthulhu or Indiana Jones? She asked, panting. You're hurt, he said, and ran a hand gently over her stomach. Cracked ribs. I need to get you out of here. Priorities. Bomb first, hurt later, she replied, looking up at the evil thing. She glanced down at the pit. Think she's gone? In the distance, they heard a hard crash, then another, and then silence. 
I really doubt it, Red answered. Yeah, Vicky sighed. Me too. Sure enough, from a distance they heard something like a whistle, and it was growing, a sound Vicky realized she'd heard before, when Baron had flown off from the fight in front of CCCP HQ. Thus, she said with feeling. Fitui, Bliad, we need to end her, now. You're in no condition to go up against her, Red said, shaking his head. Besides, she's got your weapon. Not this one, Vicky said, and held up can opener. Though I'll be damned if I can think of a way to get close enough to shiver with it. The jet-like noise was getting closer. Or have the muscle to make the blow stick, Red replied grimly. We're running out of options here. It's time to book. We can't, Vicky hissed and pointed to the bomb. Not until we stop that thing. If we don't do that, everyone dies. We die here, maybe, but at least die trying, not hiding, waiting for everything to go kaboom. I'm done with hiding. Then we're screwed, Red shouted. Vicky watched him sag, his head drooping in defeat. We can't fight the unbeatable bad guy, and we can't leave without destroying the invincible weapon. We're out of options here, Vicky. We've got nothing left. You've got me, Vicky said, and handed him her dagger. And you've got this. She wants me alive, so I'm the distraction. Don't know if you're going to get more than one shot with it. Make it count. Red took the blade from her and nodded. Shaking his head, he drew himself up. I've got you, he breathed. Yeah, you do, Vicky said with a small smile. And I've got you. So come on. Let's see what a couple of misfits can do on a hope and a prayer. This is hopeless. Red pressed his lips together, afraid to say the obvious. Vicky was right. They couldn't retreat. Somehow they had to stop the bomb, and somehow they had to get past the hulking, invulnerable alien to do it. As they backed away from the lip of the pit, waiting for Baron to fly up to them, he glanced at the small blade hidden in his hand. He supposed he could put some muscle behind it and drive it into Baron somewhere, but it had to be a killing blow. The problem was, he drew his strength from his size. He had not tested the limits of that yet. Just how big could he go? He suspected he could grow until he was enormous, large enough to dwarf even Baron, to fill up most of this enormous chamber if need be. But there were limitations with growing bigger. Even now he was definitely slower. All that mass was weighing him down. He idly considered sacrificing some of his protective shell and immediately decided against it. There was no way he could survive for very long against Baron without some armor. And then there was the issue of wielding the dagger itself. The thing of it was, the dagger wouldn't grow with him. He couldn't hold it properly as it was, its length barely the size of one of his fingers. If anything, he reasoned that he should shrink back down, even if it cost him strength. Harden the shell, get a better grip on the blade, and drive it home at the base of Baron's skull. And how was he supposed to do that? He was no stranger to fighting with a blade, but having seen Vicky in action, he knew he was nowhere near her level of expertise. Vicky was right. He had one shot at this, and he simply didn't trust his skill enough to get the job done. I don't suppose she'll just stand still and let me stick this into her eye, he muttered. 
We'll flank her again, Vicky said, clutching one hand gingerly to her side. Try and get behind her. Look for your opening. We've seen her fight, Red hissed. It's like she's got eyes in the back of her head. She'll see my clumsy swing and she'll just dodge out of it. You're going to have to be patient then, Vicky replied through clenched teeth. Don't let her see it until you've got an opening. This is hopeless, he thought again. We're gambling everything on a long, long, long shot. But what else do we have? What else, damn it? The sounds of Baron's jet grew louder. She was almost upon them. Red took a moment and looked down at Vicky. She was so strong, so sure of herself now. He felt a brilliant flash of love and pride as he took her in. She was everything he had ever hoped she could be. If this was to be their last few moments, at least they had that. With all they had endured, they had come out stronger at the end. And more, they had each other, finally. At last they had each other. We have each other. Vicky looked up and favored him with a sad smile. Yeah, we do. She reached out, twining her small fingers between his. Red gasped as Vicky's touch gave him a sudden jolt, and from some shrouded corner of his mind, he heard a voice, and not just any voice. No one has to be alone. What? Red flinched as he remembered. It seemed so long ago, before she was Carolina, before she was Doppelganger. Back then, she had just been Mel, another in a long line of broken souls that had found a way into his bed. After, they had shared a harsh moment of truth, and with a simple touch, she had said something that had stayed with him, always in the back of his mind, no matter how dark things got. No, he whispered. No one has to be alone. But how is it enough? He almost heard Carolina chuckle, and he stopped, his breath caught in his throat as her ghostly voice rang out in his mind. Show me what love is, Red. Show me what love can do. He must have made a little choking sound, because Vicky glanced up at him, meeting his stunned look with eyes that were, oddly enough, at peace and full of trust. She didn't have to say anything. That trust was there, and had been, he realized, for a long time now. But he had to ask anyway. Do you trust me? he breathed. A flash of puzzlement, then peace, and yes, trust, were back in her eyes. She nodded once, decisively. Whatever you need, I'll back you. Go limp again, he whispered. We're about to dive into that irrevocable kind of weird. Vicky smiled up at him, laid her hand gently on his face, closed her eyes, and went limp in his arms. Red took a deep breath and held her in a tight embrace. He let himself flow around her, drawing her in. Until they were one. This should have been the mindscape. Instead they were just... as they had been, staring at the pit where Baron would emerge any moment now. There was no mindscape. Why was there no mind escape? T.
Tim Torres? Seriously, your real name is Tim? Amethyst rolled over on her side to stare at them, her shoulders shaking with laughter. Partly embarrassed, a little annoyed, but this was Vic, and how could they be angry at her? Until she added, What, like Tim the Enchanter? And they felt a chill. Don't call me that, they snapped, shoving memories they didn't want to face back into their closet. Don't ever call me that. The hell? Why were they thinking about that now? Oh, because they wanted to know what their real name was. Real names were important. Real names had power. They held the sword up to the light, eyeing it critically. Unlike most of the other blades that had been handed out to their classmates, this one was short, about the length of a Roman gladius, suited to their diminutive size. It was perfect, of course. Perfect length for them, perfect balance, perfect weight. And magic forged, that went without saying. What are you naming it? Paul asked excitedly, as the rest of their classmates, one by one, thought of the perfect name, thrust their blades up in the air with melodramatic gestures, and shouted it out. Naming it? Nothing, they replied, testing the heft. It's a tool, a thing. Paul, for God's sake, you should know this. Names are important. You put a name on something and you make it into something more than a tool. You turn it into something you cherish, something you aren't willing to sacrifice or to lose. No sword is worth that. You sacrifice for living things, not for objects. Then name it as a tool, Miss Nage, the headmistress said mildly. You have to give it some name, or it won't bind to you and accept your magic. All right, then, they replied, resting the blade lightly on the palm of their left hand. Tire Iron. I name thee Tire Iron. Two or three of the kids closest to them, all of whom had given their blades pretentious names like Braveheart and Adamant, turned to gape at them but the sword responded, glowing brightly for a moment before settling back to normal. The headmistress smiled. Good. Now the dagger. She raised an eyebrow at them. I assume you have a similarly utilitarian name in mind? They just smiled. Of course they did. Can opener. Suddenly it all settled into place. Why was there no mindscape? There was no need for the mindscape. Why were they reliving memories? It was a brief moment of adjustment, of settling into their new consciousness. Together, they were somehow seamless, something neither Red nor Carolina had ever experienced with another. And there was power, and certainty, and purpose. Gone was the pain and loneliness and any imperfections. Together, they seemed perfect in every possible way. Perfect trust. Perfect love. They smiled at the quotation, probably not what the original writers had had in mind. There was a feeling of discomfort, and they rid themselves of it. Vicky's suit of chainmail, lined with leather, then canvas, then the softest of linen, dropped out of them to the ground. It was somewhat magical, too, and it was a pity they couldn't wear it, but they were going to have to be bigger than it was, and there was no way with so little time to spare to make it fit. The dagger was still in their hand, but now it fit itself into their hand exactly as if it had been made for them. They seemed smaller, 
and larger than they were. It hardly seemed to matter. Size made little difference now. The magic that made up Victoria Victrix Nage spread out with ease, touching every part of their body. They were infused with all of Vicky's skills, all of her training with the arcane, with combat and strategy. And they had all of Jeannie's cunning and agility, honed from years of fieldwork as an operative, a thief, an assassin, and most recently as a trusted member of Echo. They were one with all of it, as they were with the full potential of Red Genie's unbounded power. She is coming, they said, the sounds of powerful jets almost upon them. Are we ready? And they answered themselves, laughing. Oh, yes. Yes, we are. And from the pit, Baron emerged, incandescent in her fury, and touched down with an angry crash on the lip of the balustrade. She had lost her helmet in the fall, or perhaps ripped it off in a fury. It was almost impossible to read her very alien face, which in any case didn't seem to have the musculature to display facial expressions. The head, covered in tiny purple feathers, was surmounted by a crest of longer, silky feathers of a darker purple hue, and the head beneath the crest was actually heart-shaped, with a pair of huge, childlike slanted eyes colored a rich emerald green with no whites to them, a tiny, tip-tilted nose, and an unobtrusive slit for a mouth. Unless you looked really closely, you couldn't even tell that mouth was snarling. She drew herself up to her full height of over eight feet tall, glaring at them, and brought up tire iron, clutched defiantly in her bloody claw. Fleece, Baron spat. Together, apart, it makes little difference. I will tear you asunder and feast on your entrails. We are beyond you, they answered simply. Stand aside. You will delay us no further. I have been the destroyer of planets, Baron roared. Legions have fallen to these hands. What chance do you hope to have mortals against a god? We are hardly mortals, and you are nothing like a god. You are. They cocked their head, sizing up their opponent, and nodded. You're still an asshole. Asshole? Yep, asshole. And by the way, put that down before you hurt yourself. Baron snarled, raising Vicky's sword higher still, and stopped, her eyes widening in astonishment. She looked down and stared in confusion as an enormous fist of stone erupted from the pit to grip her by the ankle, rooting her in place. She turned back to them, furious, as they deftly traced an intricate pattern of light in the air with their fingers. This is so much easier when I'm my own medium, they said, smirking. Contemptuously, Baron swung a fist down and smashed her earthen shackles to dust. You seek to stop me with mere tricks. I, who have smashed apart whole mountains. Yeah, yeah, you're awesome, yada yada, they said, yawning ostentatiously. Come on, then, talk is cheap. Let's see how big and bad you are. Roaring again, Baron launched herself at them. It was clear to them she knew nothing about handling a sword. She held it like a hammer and made a clumsy overhand swing at them that she probably thought was unstoppable. If there was ever a textbook move for an Aikido counter, this was it. They waited until the last second, moved slightly off the line of attack, reached out and grasped Baron's wrist, and effortlessly, using the momentum of her own downward swing and charge, 
sent her into the wall. Whirling in place and pouncing on the opportunity, they drove can-opener for Baron's neck. But again, Baron surprised them with her speed. She used her own impact to roll out of the way and saw can-opener flash past her, harmlessly cutting air. Her eyes widened at the sight of the blade, and when she bounced to her feet, her stance was defensive, cautious. She circled them slowly, her movements less certain than before. She lunged again, this time leading tire iron with short, deft stabs that they easily dodged and parried away. And meanwhile, behind them, the bomb hung, waiting to drop. We don't have time for this. Well, we're open to suggestions. They attempted a quick stab with the blade and missed again as Baron danced back out of reach. She's on the defensive and she's too quick. We need her guard to fail. As it stands, if we keep up at this pace, it's only a matter of time before we mess up and she gets a good dig in with that sword. Well, so what if she does? If she does... Oh, that's a good thought. Isn't it? They continued to circle the giant, trading empty blows, waiting for their moment. It had to be timed and acted perfectly. They were betting it all, knowing that for a moment they would be completely vulnerable. Last shot. We ready for this? Go time. They hopped up, dodging another slicing attack, but this time, instead of dropping back, they leapt forward, arcing high into the air and descending, dagger first, squarely at the giant's exposed chest. Baron grunted in surprise, and with a quick reversal swung the blade into Red and Vicky's chest, nearly splitting them in half. They stopped, mid-leap, and stared at the sword as it protruded from the area of their navel. An enormous fount of blood erupted from the cut, and they quivered in place, their head now hanging low, a bloody froth bubbling over their lips and cascading down their body. Baron relaxed her stance, chuckled, and held them aloft, impaled on the blade. Avert the fight, she said. Far better than I would have imagined. You have earned your last words, if you can utter them. Red and Vicky raised their head and mumbled something that became a coughing fit, splattering more blood over their assailant. Baron slowly mopped some from her face and leaned in. I'm sorry. What was that? Red and Vicky coughed again, but managed to look her full in the face. Asshole says what? Baron flinched, confused. What? And in that moment, Red and Vicky's hand, which had been hanging limp and lifeless, barely holding on to the dagger, lashed up, fast as a striking cobra, and with all their power behind it. They drove the blade in deep, past Baron's open and bewildered lips, and felt a hard crunch as it bit through the roof of her mouth. They froze together there for a moment, Red and Vicky still suspended in midair, Baron staring into their face. Then the behemoth dropped, and they fell with her. They lay on their side for a moment, before releasing their grip on can opener. With a shudder, they gripped tire iron's hilt with both hands, and coughing, pulled it out of their chest. They lay gasping for a moment, before slowly rising to their feet, their body zipping itself bizarrely back together. Christ, they said. That hurt. That hurt a lot.
Things had only grown more difficult after Red Savior finished dealing with Worker's Champion. The Supernaut troopers they had first encountered had only been the lead element for a much larger force. Instead of facing the Coalition forces head-on, like the Thulians had been, the Supernaut troopers had spread out, occupying the buildings and turning each into an ad hoc bunker. Natalia's assault had slowed considerably. Each building had to be checked and cleared. The ones that held Supernaut traitors would either come alive with automatic weapons fire and gouts of flame from window ambushes, or explode in a cloud of fire when the assaulters entered. Her people were good, but she was losing too many of them. Soviet and Thea were working as hard and as fast as they could, and Natalia genuinely marveled at the way the pair seemed to be right where they were needed almost before anyone could call out medic. But there were only two of them, and her people were still dying. If she had her way, she would pull her forces back and simply raise the entire city with artillery, marching it forward and leveling every single building. Much safer and easier to sweep smoking rubble for dead enemies than fighting positions for live ones. Now that the attack was in full swing, the Thulians had woken up. Their anti-bombardment defenses were in overdrive, destroying shells and missiles in the air with flak explosions and lances of actinic energy. Combined with the fact that every single commander was calling on the same limited set of resources, and it left Savior waiting for uncomfortably long periods before air support or an artillery strike could be called in. Natalia had been advancing with her troops, preoccupied with coordinating the assault elements, while Untermensch and a VDV lieutenant handled the nitty-gritty of troop movement, down what looked to be an empty street, when an explosion rocked her like an earthquake. She fell backwards, hard, and barely managed not to dash her brains out on the street. Her ears were ringing, but she heard shouts, in Russian and English, of IED, contact front 100 meters, and medic. Someone hastily dragged her to cover, picking her up and setting her roughly on her feet against a pile of rubble from a destroyed building. The air was filled with the sound of explosions, gunshots, and men yelling. The ringing whine in her ears muffled all of the other sounds like a thick blanket. She shook her head to clear it, bringing up her tactical display. Her troops had marked two buildings, located on opposite sides of the intersection ahead, where a mixed unit of supernaut troopers and Thulians had holed up. Judging by the disposition of her men and where the ambush had started, the traitors and Thulians had made a major tactical error, triggering the explosive too early, before the majority of her forces were in the intersection. All of her people that were still up and operational had taken cover and were pouring fire on the two buildings. Keep up suppressive fire on those bastards. Squads one, two, four, and six, spread out to our flanks and maneuver on the buildings while we keep their heads down. She tried to ping a request for artillery or an airstrike, but all of the assets were tied up. The battle in the air had turned serious, with numerous death spears and robo-eagles dueling with fighter jets, attack helicopters, and bombers. Natalia sincerely hoped that luck would be on their side, and a flaming wreck, the enemies or one of their own, wouldn't land squarely on her team's heads. When in grenade range, we will hit their position hard and deploy smoke to conceal your movement. Storm in and take the building, fast. Take them down before they can cook the entire structure. Hunter trotted up to her side, staying behind cover. Commissar, we have two men still alive where the IED went off. They can't move without exposing themselves to the enemy, and besides, their injuries are severe. They won't survive much longer, he didn't have to add. 
Natalia bit her lip. Her men were already moving to flank the buildings and start the assault. Still, even with how fast they were, it wouldn't be fast enough to save the men in the intersection. She had to do something now. Otherwise, they were as good as dead. Deploy smoke in the intersection. Once it's filled, you and Bear retrieve the soldiers. Your healing and his chassis should protect you from whatever enemy fire comes through. The two squads left in the street wouldn't be able to accurately target the buildings where the supernaut troopers and Thulians were holed up, but they could still throw an impressive amount of lead their way. Hopefully, it would be enough to cover the other squad's advance. A few moments later, several smoke grenades sailed over Natalia's head, clanging loudly off of the paved street before they fully ignited. Thick white clouds of smoke started to fill the intersection. Luckily, the wind was coming from the beachhead behind them, so the smoke would be blown towards their enemies and not back in their faces. She waited for a few beats for the smoke to completely block her view of the buildings ahead. Her men had already picked out spots to aim for, so that their shots would at least be close to where they needed to go. The incoming enemy fire slackened, then became much more inaccurate. Georgie! Go now! Untermensch and Soviet Bear started towards the injured men. Both had their weapons slung, since firing would only give their enemies something to potentially focus on. Instead, they ran as fast as they could. Naturally, Georgie was the faster of the two, but Pavel's clomping gait covered a fair amount of ground all the same. Bear reached the downed soldiers just as Georgie was picking one of them up in a rescue carry. They didn't waste any time. Once both of the men were secured, they started back towards the nearest piece of cover, on the opposite side of the street from Natalia. The pair, with their injured cargo, were almost halfway to relative safely when a quick succession of energy bolts caused Natalia to reflexively flinch and close her eyes. Sniper! She tracked where the blasts were coming from. A window on her side of the street, just a little behind her position. A die-in-place unit. Let the enemy move past, then hit them from behind before getting cut down in turn. Sneaky bastards. Quick as a blink, she marked the window with her HUD, simultaneously retrieving a fragmentation grenade from her vest. With practiced casualness, she charged the grenade, kicked off the ground on a plume of her metahuman energy, and sidearmed the grenade into the window where the sniper was firing from. The energy bolts were immediately silenced by the whoomp of the grenade's explosion. The only thing that came from the window were shards of glass and bits of debris. Something is wrong. She ran back to cover. The smoke in the intersection was clearing, and as a result the ambushers had renewed their weapons fire. Her squads were still in position, and the flankers were just about in grenade range of the ambushers' buildings. They were running low on their specialty munitions and were saving the rockets for Thulian armored troopers. She scanned the street and immediately saw what had caused her stomach to knot. Pavel was down. His chassis was able to shrug off small arms with relative ease, but Thulian energy weapons damaged it as easily as they destroyed anything else. From her position... Natalia could see that Pavel was spaced down in the street. His legs had been completely slagged, and the energy bolts had melted three holes in his back and torso. Unter had made it back without being hit, and the injured soldier he had been carrying was already being treated. But his position was also under fire, since the smoke had revealed it to the ambushers, and he couldn't possibly venture out to get the remaining soldier without being gunned down. She doubted even his healing ability and the Echo Nanoweave could stand up to a concerted attack from two buildings full of the enemy. As miraculous as it was, 
it couldn't bring him back from the dead. The soldier, if he isn't dead already, will probably be dead soon. Damn them. And Pavel. The old fool had been around since before she was born. Once a proud member of the Motherland's Metahuman Corps, he had fallen into disgrace at some point after the Great Patriotic War. She had never learned the details, and she didn't care about them. He had returned to the ranks of the CCCP in the late 70s, and she had grown up with him as another of her uncles, first watching him fight beside her father, and then fighting alongside him before she had finally earned the command of the CCCP. As much as she found him infuriating with his constant antics, she had also grown fond of the doddering relic. Ever since Workers' Champion's betrayal, he had been one of her few remaining ties to the time when being a metahuman and a member of the CCCP were pure for her. The amount of crockery that she threw at him back at HQ hadn't lessened, but she certainly didn't wing it at him as hard or as accurately as she used to. And now she would never get to throw anything at him ever again. Or to tell him that, as much of a pain in the ass as he was for her, she still appreciated him as a comrade. Another one that trusted me. Dead. Dead, and I gave the order. She felt the pain swell up in her breast, glowing and aching, a mix of loss and cultivated hatred, for the enemy and for her inability to stop her people from dying. Her vision had become unfocused for a moment as she processed everything that had happened. She snapped herself out of it. She couldn't afford to slow down, not when there was still more fighting to be done. Natalia was about to bark out the order for the flankers to storm the buildings when some movement caught her eye. She was drawn back to Pavel and the dying soldier, and Pavel was moving. He had the soldier's drag handle on the back of the man's harness in his left hand, the mechanical prosthesis barely attached to his shoulder. He was pulling himself and the injured soldier towards Georgie with his right arm, even as bullets ricocheted off of what was left of his ruined chassis. Natalia's heart leapt, and she didn't hesitate. Covering fire! She didn't wait for any of her men to respond. She was already running for Pavel and the injured soldier, her legs like steel pistons as they pumped up and down. She couldn't even feel the ground beneath her, and barely felt the energy blast that grazed her back. Distantly, she knew that she was hurt, but that didn't matter now. She had to protect her comrades, her friends, she used her metahuman energy to fly, still staying low to the ground. Even running would be too slow. When she neared Pavel and the soldier, she swooped lower still. She threw her arms out wide, scooping the injured soldier and Pavel up under their arms, or what was left for Pavel, and beelining for Georgie. She felt impacts, like hard punches, pepper her back and side. The nano-weave constricted oddly, almost spasmodically in reaction to whatever hit her. She didn't care. A moment later, she landed behind cover. Georgie and several of the VDV soldiers rushing to her, taking Bear and their injured comrade from her. Everything grew very quiet for Natalia. She felt odd, almost disconnected, and Georgie looked up to her gravely. She didn't know why. Despite his injuries, Bear was alive, or so she thought. He didn't breathe like a normal man, but she thought she could tell that he still lived. She smiled to Georgie, nodding once. Then she tasted blood in her mouth and found herself on her knees. 
Her vision darkened, and she was extraordinarily tired. She couldn't breathe, but she didn't feel the panic that she expected to feel. She fell forward into Georgie's arms and closed her eyes. They would be okay. Her wolves. Her tovarici. So long as they had each other, they would prevail. That was all that mattered as she breathed out for the last time. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.